LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today I'm here with Jim Martin, who's the Vice President of Spiritual Formation at IJM. And we would love to welcome you to the show, Jim. Thanks very much, Todd. It's great to be here. I say we, but I'm by myself. That was a royal we. <laughs> that was me and the Holy Spirit. I get you. We're great to be. We're, we're glad to be here. <laughs> well, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I'm excited about is you are um, a former pastor or a pastor. I mean... Uh, yeah. I, I'm a former pastor who still considers myself a pastor, and my wife reminds me occasionally, like when we have new neighbors and I introduce myself as a pastor, it's really confusing for those people. Sure. Yeah, you're you're sort of addressing the pastoral wiring that we all have, right? Um, oh, yeah. I, I am not currently working as a pastor. I'm, uh, I oversee spiritual formation for this uh, international organization called the International Justice Mission. So I do some pastoring in the midst of that. Uh, but I did spend uh, a good eight years as a, in a university chaplaincy kind of role, and then another 10 years uh, as a church planting pastor, essentially in a mercy and justice pastoral role at a, at a sizable church plant in California. Very cool. Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting uh, about you too is in your current role with spiritual formation, you... You didn't start there with IJM. You actually started out with church mobilization. Talk about that and how those two things are connected, church mobilization and spiritual formation. Yeah, sure. So I came to IJM back in 2008 after these 10 years uh, at this church in California. Um, and my, my role had been really a mercy and justice role within the church, trying to set up what essentially might be a, a sort of missions arm in another uh, in, a, in another church sort of context. But um I had ended up developing a relationship with uh, with IJM and particularly with their work in Latin America um, because I needed, um, as a pastor in California with a church in the middle of Silicon Valley and a bunch of young uh, Silicon Valley professionals as the major constituency of the church, I was looking for partners um, that I could bring church members to. Uh, and and they would see versions of themselves on the other side of the partnership, right? So I could I could bring people to see iJam's work in Latin America, uh, and these young Silicon Valley professionals would be introduced to say the director of legal uh, in the iJam office where we went, and and that person would take them through the work that that office was doing. Uh, which was was protecting children from uh, from unprosecuted sexual assault. So this this director of legal has uh, somewhere around 120 open cases of children who have been sexually assaulted, and no one is there to advocate for them. Um, and so I'm watching, and in some cases translating for my church people who are hearing Richard, this director of legal. Um, walk them through cases of just remarkable things that they have been able to do for these vulnerable children, winning case after case after case, bringing actual protection and comfort and healing to these kids because there's a whole aftercare function as well. And so my young Silicon Valley professionals turn around and they go home after this 10-day trip and they're asking really important questions like, um, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and how does the how does the gospel impact the choices that have gotten me to to this point in my career? Uh, 
Um, and it's not that everybody has to reevaluate that and make a change after a trip like that, but those are really important questions to ask. So that's how I got connected with IJM. And then at some point, IJM reached out and said, hey, we love the partnership that we're in with you. Would you consider coming over to IJM and building more church partnerships like the one that you're in? And so I made that transition in 2008 uh, and built a whole church mobilization team for IJM. I actually wrote a book called The Just Church, which was trying to lay out how can churches that have no real access to or feel like they have no real access to issues of justice, how can they learn what they need to learn, assess what they need to assess, and then begin taking steps into the work of justice, both locally and internationally. And so we now have a whole team of staff at IJM that work with local churches um, that just help them do just that, help them uh, help them just dive into this issue of biblical justice. And you then know, from... One yeah, of go the things, talk. go ahead. I was just going to say from there, the work transition, but you, I, w- I want you to go ahead and ask your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will start, uh, I will start by asking you the first question in just a moment, but before I do, I do want to uh, highlight for our listeners. I mean, they hear us talk about ministry grid occasionally, uh, and, also, some uh, sometimes we offer really good, really deep, really rich, free resources on there. One of those things that um, we did was partner with you guys. Uh, we mm-hmm. had Richard Lee out, which is the, the current director of mobile, church mobilization, as well as Thad Nichols, um, yep. to, to come out and uh, develop resources, really a lot of the resources that you guys already have produced for Freedom Sunday, but... Uh, I think beefed up those resources a little bit, and then we made them in such a manner that churches can actually utilize it. Not not only it's, it isn't about distribution uh, yeah. purely; it's really about training and development and putting those things together in such a way that people can actually uh, assign those out to people or put people in groups and use this uh, use this content even as curriculum to kind of walk through together as a group. Can you? Talk a little bit more about um, Freedom Sunday and um, what that content is. Yeah, we. this is something we're really excited about and grateful for, Todd, um, in terms of our partnership with you guys. So Freedom Sunday, um, all, the, all this church mobilization work that Richard and Thad and I have been doing over the years uh, really does culminate in this offering that we call Freedom Sunday. And, and all it is is an invitation to churches to take one Sunday a year to focus on this issue of modern day slavery and and violence as it affects the most vulnerable people in the world. And so we, for a couple of years, have been distributing resources and and I I think serving churches well, but the partnership with you guys in Ministry Grid really takes it to a whole new level. So what can happen now is churches can access um, all of these materials just the way you were talking about on your platform and sort of arrange how it is that the church is going to engage in Freedom Sunday. So we invite churches to do this uh, usually in late September um, and ask them, I think September 22nd this year, and ask churches to just sort of prepare and execute a Sunday that is all about the issue of modern day slavery. And many churches uh, just haven't done that before. And so we found that there, there are some simple and helpful resources. We have some IGM videos that you guys uh, are distributing via the, via that platform, the Ministry Grid platform, uh, and a whole bunch of sermon examples and uh, materials and photographs and all everything you might need from bulletin inserts to, to videos uh, to help run a, an amazing Freedom Sunday. And it's all located there uh, 
in a, in a easily accessible and organizable format. Yeah, we'll make it uh, super easy for our listeners to access as well. We'll go ahead and put that link in the show notes, and I'll mention it again um, before we wrap up. But let's go ahead and get into our first question. Actually, you know what? Tell us a little bit more about who you are as a person. I mean, you told us uh, about some of your previous ministry experience, but you know, tell us a little bit about your family. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have a wife and three kids. Um, been married for 30 years this year. Um, and uh, my three kids are now uh, 19, 22, and 24. So I have a boy who's 19, a rising junior. He's a music education student here in Virginia. I have a daughter, 22, who's heading into her last year of nursing school, also here in Virginia. And then a daughter who's 24, graduated uh, two years ago. And then actually after graduation, went right into an internship with IJAM for a year. She was in Bolivia uh, as a communications uh, intern and had a really, really great experience with us. So that's a little bit about where we're at. Good deal. Uh, I know we, uh, before we got on the podcast, as our listeners know, I used to live in D.C. and I talk about it all the time. Um, But you, man, you made an amazing move. You moved from right in the middle of everything, Arlington, where you could, you know, throw a, a rock and hit Lincoln yeah. to Fredericksburg, which also has a ton yeah. of history. I'm a history guy, but you moved to a place that when my wife and I were newly married and we wanted to get out of the city for a weekend, we just took the hour drive. <laughs> it was an hour if you were lucky. The hour yeah. drive uh, south to, to Fredericksburg. Um, and you just made that move. Yeah, we did. We did a couple years ago, uh, really just two years ago. Our Once our youngest went off to college and they were all south of us in Arlington, you, you were mentioning the traffic. Uh, the traffic can be brutal uh, for the first hour trying to get out of D.C. really in any direction. And so we thought if we're if we're ever going to see our kids midweek, um, the <laughs> easiest way to do that would be to get outside the traffic bubble. So we live an hour south in Fredericksburg. I take a train north every day to come to work and a train south every afternoon. Um, it's a commuter train. Uh, totally doable. It's about an hour and 10 minutes each way. Um, and it's uh, it's great decompression time after after my time in the office. I can read. I can write. I can do all kinds of things. Excellent. All right. Let's so get into our working first well for us. Let's do it. All right. Who are you currently learning from? Oh, wow. This is uh, this answer, as I think about it, uh, comes out in layers. Right. I I serve as the VP of spiritual formation for IJM, which is an organization that is um, about uh, eleven hundred people worldwide moving pretty directly towards some of the most um, challenging suffering that you would ever want to see in the world. So my job as VP of spiritual formation in, in, in many ways is actually to care for the people who are doing the work. So I'm wanting to learn from others who are engaged in this kind of thing. So I, over the years, have developed this close group of friends who are on the journey. There, Some of them are pastors, some are, are counselors, some are spiritual formation junkies. Um, and so we share resources, we discuss challenging issues, we... Uh, um, we, we converse in all kinds of different ways. And the beauty these days, right, is that these people are all relationally close, but they don't have to be physically close because we, uh, we can maintain those relationships. But they're all doing the same kind of work that I'm trying to do, whether they're doing it at a church or uh, at some kind of other ministry or even at a business. Um, and we're learning together about those things. 
Um, I'd also say uh, reading has been quite important for me. The, the spiritual formation sort of practices at IGM are, are pretty deeply based on the work of Dallas Willard. So he's been a huge influence. Uh, an author named David Benner is somebody I read. I love reading uh, also sort of a concentric ring or so outside of my own kind of narrow Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I come from a, a Protestant Christian tradition, but I've been reading lately uh, Peter Kreeft, who's a Catholic author. Um, he wrote this book called Symbol or Substance, uh, which is this fascinating look at the theology and practice around the Lord's Supper. Um, and so those kinds of things I find super stimulating. And then, uh, I would also say, um, oddly enough, Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits has lately been, uh, a person that I felt like I have lo- I've learned a ton from, and I, I get like, that's strange. This is a like, 1400s, um, Spanish monk. Uh, well, he was a, a noble, a knight first, uh, before he becomes Ignatius of Loyola. Anyway, um, reading about the foundation of the Jesuits and the rhythms that, that uh, Ignatius sort of encouraged people to live in as I've sought to do my job. Well, a lot of those gifts have really, really been amazing for us and for our staff. So things like the exam things like the practice of gratitude or practicing a sense of the presence of God in the scriptures and in daily life. So much of that actually traces back to Ignatius and so much of that stuff is stuff I lean on in the work that I'm trying to do on behalf of people at IJM. So that'd be a little summary there. So good. Okay. So I want to go back to books uh, that you were talking about uh, because it reminded me of the connection uh, between environment and worship or just the, the dedication of space toward Worship. So, you know, you actually just mentioned a uh, Catholic author too. So yeah. when you go to, for instance, uh, the National Cathedral or you go to, yeah. uh, there are some venues, uh, worship venues. I don't know why I'm not calling them churches. There are some places like that that just so amazingly lend themselves to worship and the symbols therein, and the artwork therein, and the um, the stained glass, and you know, so yeah. much of that uh, is is so rich. Is that what that book is about? Oh no, it's it's um, uh, that's a fascinating uh, subject of conversation. The the C- Peter Crave's book. Similar well, let's substance just go with a- that then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's great. You know, no, we can go either people, way. I'm joking. Something people don't realize, though, is um, we were talking back, you know, back when uh, some of these huge cathedrals, these beautiful buildings were created with all these ornate carvings that tell biblical stories and stained glass that that gives, you know, you a sense of the, the arc of the biblical narrative. A lot of that was done because literacy was at like 10% of the population. So people, people couldn't read this stuff for themselves, but if they could see it, right, they, they could remember. So I think some of these worship spaces and some of the art that we're talking about that dates back to the 1800s or 1700s or 16 or 1500s, like, this was the church trying to be creative in its communication so that, that people could live in the midst of these life-giving stories, even if they couldn't access them by reading, which is sort of hard for the modern mind to capture. But that's part of what's wrapped into the beauty of those places. So good. All right. So what is the main point of emphasis that 
you're leading your team through right now? Wow. I know you guys, uh, you and Daniel did an interview with Gary Haugen, the founder right. of IGM. Uh, and just that a hasn't been too back, long so. ago. So, you know, we're going to compare notes. Yeah, you sh- as you should. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, I would say, like, go back and listen to that because it'll give you a sort of a perspective on IJM. And we as an organization uh, are focusing on this idea that the work that we are doing to protect the, the poor from violence, that work, actually, the weight of that work belongs on God's shoulders, not on ours. Um, and we're going to, as we engage that work, we're going to engage it Jesus way, which means we're going to do it the way Jesus did. We're going to stay close to the Father and we're going to love you each other. So that's been the, the, the main focus organizationally this year is how do we, how do we engage this weight without being crushed? How do we engage this work, pardon me, without being crushed by the weight of it? And then how do we do the work in a way that keeps us close to the father and in a way where we can express love for one another, even when we show up to work on days where we're actually genuinely hard to love? Like, how do we actually do that? How do we live in uh, in the way that Jesus would if he were doing the jobs that we're doing? I would say, too, for my part, uh, as the VP of spiritual formation, the other the other thing I would think of as I think of main themes is the thing that I come back to all the time is this idea of um, of of how do I how do I make sure I'm operating out of my deepest and truest identity, which would simply be that I am a beloved child of God. So before I'm a subject matter expert, before I'm a VP, before I have a position at IJM, before I am anything that I do, I am a beloved child of God. And it is amazing to me how often I can invest identity stock in the lesser things, like what my role is or my title or my most recent success or my most recent failure. And so I find in, in my work, my, my constant effort uh, emphasis these days is, uh, is trying to help myself and others return to this basic sense of identity that we are beloved children of God. Because then, like rooted in that identity as a beloved child of God, it helps us to live courageously like willing to fail, willing to recover from failure, willing to risk again. Like that's, that's really what it takes. So that's, that's been the focus lately, I think for me. Very good. Very good. Okay. Now, what are one or two things that you have to do every day to stay sharp as a leader? And because you are Mr. Spiritual Formation, that's not your title, VP of Spiritual Formation. That's a great title though. I'll I'll take it. Uh, we, you, you can't, you can't say spiritual disciplines. None of the spiritual <laughs> disciplines are allowed. You're, you are effectively tying my hands behind my back. I am because we want to hear something different. We, we don't, we, we don't want that. We're, that's where our listeners are already expecting that from you. One, because every single one of them listened to Gary. And two, <laughs> uh, because they can already hear your bent. Uh, so yeah, sure. sure. What are okay. what are one or two things? You, I may be catching you, you off guard now. Okay, but you at least have to let me say that what what you're talking about, what the, the question that you're asking, uh, we in in the spiritual formation world would say, tell me about your rule of life, right? Right. Um, so that's like a Benedictine term that refers to like how how what are the practices? What's the set of practices that helps you to flourish? Spiritually, but not just spiritually, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally. Um, so I, I will skip over, because you asked me to, 
Um, uh-huh. The spiritual disciplines that I practice as an IJM uh, staff person, I won't talk about the hour I spend in prayer a day. I won't talk about the quarterly retreat I go on with IJM staff every quarter. I won't talk about the day long the day long spiritual retreat I'm required to take every year as as IJM staff. I won't talk about those things. Okay, Todd. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for not talking about <clears throat> yeah, this. You're welcome. Uh, so beyond that, I would say um, I need things that are going to help me. Um, not take myself or my work so seriously. Because uh, one, one of the occupational hazards at IJM is you could walk around slumped over every single day because um, work, the, the work is hard and you're going to hear hard stories about failures in the work and about slow progress that just not, never feels right. So uh, I would say um, some, every single day I'm going to need some combination of either exercise or play. Um, so, uh, especially as I get older, like exercise becomes important. I actually have to discipline myself to do that, which I hate, but, but it's, it's, it's actually so helpful for me to do. So either exercise, I, I, you know, these days it's running. Um, so I'll do that. If, uh, if it's a day I don't have to run that I'm going to want to devote some time to play. I have a ton of hobbies. Uh, and this is partly again, like, let, let me pull myself out of myself, um, I might do some writing for pleasure. I might, I love to cook. I might do some cooking. I love to build things. Uh, I love to play music. I might, I might do any of those things, but as, as a sense of like, Oh, this is part of the discipline of the rule of life that I live in because it helps me to not take myself so seriously. It helps me to sort of blow out some of the cobwebs that can form in my heart and my soul when I, when I bear down for too long on, on the work stuff. And then I, finally, I would say laughter. Like uh, I, uh, I need to laugh. I need to laugh at myself. I need to laugh with other people. So like, send me those funny memes from the interwebs. Send me, you know, <laughs> uh, funny, funny videos from YouTube. Introduce me to a new stand-up comic. Like those things are really, really helpful to me. So, um, yeah. So that's what I'd say if I can't talk more about spiritual disciplines. I love it. So oh, I got one. I got one that okay, I can okay. squeeze in uh, because it's actually part of uh, it's part of mental sharpness. And uh, and we won't call it a spiritual discipline. But these this year, I set out a goal because I hadn't memorized scripture in a long time that I was going to memorize the Psalms of Ascent. Those beautiful Psalms from Psalm 120 to 135, those uh, those short right. little Psalms in there. So that's been a fun challenge. Like I haven't tried to do anything like that since, you know, really probably in 15 years. Um, and so that's been a joy. I'm at, I'm, I'm working on Psalm 125 right now. Well, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, um, struck me because I, I love the examine. So if we want to go back there for just a second. Nice. To You're opening up the spiritual disciplines door, Ignatius, Todd. You want to do that? Yeah. Ignatius examine. If you haven't ever studied anything on it, just Google it and you'll see. I mean, basically it's a five-step daily examine uh, is one version of it that Ignatius practiced and it was becoming aware of God's presence, reviewing the day with gratitude, um, you know, really looking at your emotions, uh, one feature of the day and praying from it and then looking looking toward tomorrow. And so I, I think part of the thing is... People just make it too complicated. <laughs> yeah, no, that I think that's absolutely right. When I when I was first introduced to the exam and probably fifteen years ago, 
uh, I think, you know, I did uh, my sort of good Protestant practice of, uh, of approaching it as a study project. Right. Right. And so I sat down with my journal and I did this exhaustive uh, and exhausting look at, you know, you know, sort of, you know, begin in the place of grace, acknowledge myself as a child of the living God, and then gratitude. What am I grateful for? Let me, let me develop an exhaustive list of every single thing that I'm grateful for in the last 12 months, you know, and then the look back and doing the same thing. And then I realized the more I read like, oh, Ignatius actually wanted his students to do this once a day, maybe even twice a day for eight minutes you know, and it's this, it becomes this beautiful thing. So most mornings in stillness, I'm sitting here for the first 10 minutes of my 8.30 stillness time at IJM. And I'm spending like eight to 10 minutes in an examine um, that that helps me um, because Ignatius's beautiful insight was it's much easier to see the presence of God in our lives in retrospect than it is in real time. So it's often not until we look back at the previous day that we see the grace of God in those places that we didn't, that we didn't see it before. And so, you know, if you, if you did the examine every day for the next month, like the the beauty of that on the other side is that like, you have just lived a month of your life that did not go unexamined. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Who was it? I, it's late in the day when at the recording of this podcast, so forgive me. Uh, and I don't have Daniel here to uh, fill the time so that I can get on the Googles. Um, <laughs> who was it that said the, ex- <laughs> the examined life is not worth living? Uh, yes, the unexamined life the is unexamined not worth living. Life, yep. Yeah, uh, is somebody somebody's going to have to Google that and then uh, put it in the comments <laughs> in the podcast. <laughs> well, I'll ask you the next question, and then while you're answering it, I will be paying attention, but I'll look it up for our listeners. Every church must be equipped to respond well in the initial stages when learning about instances of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse. And that's why the Southern Baptist Convention, Lifeway, and ERLC partner together to create Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. This training curriculum consists of a handbook, 13 uh, enhanced video sessions that brings together top experts from various fields to help volunteers and leaders understand and implement the best practices for handling a variety of abuse scenarios at church, school, or in your ministry. You can access these videos and this training and this book all for free at churchcares.com. Um, awesome. All right. So next question is, uh, what does leadership in your home look like? I mean, you talked about this a little bit, but you've just gone through transition. I mean, you know, yeah. tra- uh, multiple transitions, transitions yeah. of... Uh, place as well as role, as well as what your home totally. looks like, what your your relationship looks like like with your wife now. Um, yeah, talk about all that. Yeah, it is interesting because it, it connects at the level of identity. That was the surprise for me because when my kids were little, for you know that twenty year span, my sort of primary identity that I walked around in the world with was husband and father. Like I I had various jobs through that time and all that, but the the primary identity that I was living out of was this sense of husband and father. And now that they're all out of the house, it's, you know, that it's a little disorienting, right? Because that whole thing changes. So I've spent, I've spent a bunch of time thinking about this. And I think for me, 
the question you ask about what, what does leadership in the home look like? Uh, for me, it has all boiled down to building and maintaining intimacy with my wife and my kids. It's about knowing and being known. Because um, those are the precursors to anything else, right? My my own relationship with my dad uh, was was complicated and difficult, and I wanted to make sure that that pattern was broken between me and my own kids, especially. So I I did a number of things consciously, actually. Um, when before our first child was born, she ended up being a girl. Uh, I told my wife um, as we were sort of talking about what what life would be like once the baby was born. I said, I want to be the one who gets up in the middle of the night when she cries. Um, I'll change the night diapers. I'll soothe the baby. And my, my reasoning was this. It was like, frankly, I'm starting at a deficit because she can nurse the baby. And right. that's like superpower bonding. Right. Right. right? So how, how am I possibly going to, you know, how am I possibly going to com- compete with that? So I, my, my deal with her is like, let, let me go first. Like, let me be the first one that shows up because otherwise I, I just can't even compete. Um, so what this amazing thing develops out of that. So, I, you know, we do this and I get up and, it, you know, there are hard things about it for sure. And I lost a lot of sleep and all that kind of stuff. But as our kids grew to the point where they could start talking, like every time they woke up in the middle of the night and they called for me instead of my wife, I was like, I I was like so healed by that in so many different ways. You know, it was, it was just this beautiful thing. And you talk to them now and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. When we woke up, you never would think about calling mama. It would always be Papa. You would call, you know? So it was, uh, that, that was one of the first things that we did, but it's all along the, like this theme of intimacy. What can I do to maintain and to build intimacy with my wife, which thankfully has been just super easy over these 30 years. And then what can I do to maintain and, and build emotional intimacy with my kids, especially as they grow up? Um, so for example, when our oldest, um, that, that same little girl who was born, um, was in her senior year of high school and we were sort of anticipating the first big change of her going off to college. We decided during her senior year, we wanted to do something epic together. And so we, we pulled all the kids out of school for a month and we, uh, we went to Spain and we walked the Camino de Santiago together, which is this amazing thousand year old, hundreds of mile long pilgrimage across Northern Spain. Um, and so we walked it together with our backpacks on and we slept in hostels and we ate and all these different crazy places. We told stories, we laughed, we hiked for hundreds of miles. It was this amazing adventure. Um, and then the whole thing sort of was the, the screen upon which for the kids, we played out the story of uh, the history of God's faithfulness to our family. Like we could tell the whole story of, of, uh, of who God had been in our lives from before they were born to, you know, to right now to, to moving on. And so that's been, you know, the, the, in the, in the sort of context of like trying to build and maintain intimacy with my kids so that when things are difficult or when things are joyful, the the lines of communication are just wide open. That's really good. That's the book you should write. That'd be more helpful. (laughs) I, I mean, no, I, I should read your other book on justice and justice and the church connected specifically. But as a parent who's thinking about how do I, how do I make sure my children have these moments? Uh, because one of the things that I was lucky enough to learn from a, um, a pastor who was older than I was is he, he just said, "Hey, don't spend money on." stuff, spend money on experiences. And so, you know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about how amazing that would be 
And then I'm thinking about for some of our listeners, they may have just checked out because they're like, oh, I'll never be able to afford to do that. Like, I can't, I can't do something like that. But I would say you, you may not be able to go to Spain, uh, but you can definitely have 30 days of purposeful conversation. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is, a, it is for, for many of us, um, it, it might be more attainable than we think because the, the pilgrimage, it's pilgrimage itself, that, that particular one is actually not, not all that expensive. We saved up some well, frequent flyer miles and all that. Certainly we were in a position of privilege to be able to do that, but it may be more accessible to people than they think. But the point is, I think you're, you're totally right, Todd, like the, you, you can, you can create experiences um, that foster intimacy, uh, in all kinds of creative ways. Like what that looks like now with our kids, 19, 22 and 24 is we have decided we're just going to, we're going to pick one weekend every quarter that everybody comes home for. Uh, and, and there's no huge agenda. We're just going to eat some great food. We're going to laugh. We're going to talk. We're going to watch movies and we're going to hang out together because now what's going on is we got these, you know, potential significant others that are, that are sort of moving in and out of the picture. And, um, we, we want to make sure that we have access points for everybody to come in and be part of the, the, the intimacy when that's appropriate. Right. So, um, so yeah, I, I think with with some thought, some creative thinking, there there are ways to develop um, these these easy sort of touch points that that create and develop intimacy. So did you have uh, did you have a framework or a plan going into that time, the, into that month long experience where you're like, okay, it's day twenty one. Let me take a look, and we're going to talk about this story today. Was this something oh, that the, detailed the, or was it just, you know, as <laughs> things happen and as things go along the this way, is, we're going to remember stories, reminisce, tell them, you know, more about family members they may not know about, but we're just going to yeah. use, you know, whatever happens is going to spark something in us or was it so intentional? That, that's a great question. And this is going to sound ridiculous, um, but right. here's what happened. And, and we just, we just stumbled into this. So we, um, uh, we walked the Camino in Spain uh, during the 24th year of our marriage. So we had been married. Uh, we had been married 24 years. Uh, no, during the yeah, that's right. During the 24th year of our marriage, we've been married 23 years. We're in the 24th year. Um, we had we set aside a month, and between travel times and a couple travel days and a couple days off, it turned out we had 24 days to walk. Um, it, it also coincidentally uh, turned out that my wife and I, um, from like year two of our marriage, had just sort of fallen into this practice where we would go out to dinner uh, on our anniversary or near our anniversary, and we'd talk all about the year, kind of review the year together in sort of an annual exam and kind of style. And then we try to assign a name to the year. Um, so in the first decade, it was like one word names, like, oh, the first year, you know, the first year, adventure, vision, growth, waiting, hope building. So we had this catalog of 24 year names that made it possible to remember pretty much exactly what had happened in each of the years. And so for the first couple of mornings or for the first couple of hours, as we walked each morning, we would say, well, the, the, the you know, this is day one, the first year of our marriage, we ended up naming adventure. Let, let, let us tell you a little bit about what the adventure was like um, and where we met 
happened. And then the next day would be vision. So we, we, we got this whole, we began to get this whole vision for what ministry together could look like. And, and so we could tell that whole story. And then the third year was, it was growth. Um, so it was really fun and it, it ended up being a, a much more uh, organized um, process than I think we ever imagined it would be when we set out on it. Man, I love that. Uh, I do for multiple reasons. I mean, one is, you know, some families might have, you know, family values or something that they could walk through. And that that's cool, whether it's, you know, a uh, a trip that, that that's that long and kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing, or it's an annual vacation where it's like, hey, we're going to be gone for a week, and just so happens we have six values uh, as a family, and we're going to, you know, walk through those and intentionally draw those out, tell stories, um, or, you know, say yeah. how we see this value in other people. I really think that we all have, we all look around and we see some people that we, we know that are probably just really intuitively good parents. And we look at them and we're like, wow, I'm, I'm not like that. But you can be an intentionally <laughs> good parent. Exactly. Um, yes, yes. And so I would just encourage uh, people who are listening today, you know, for me at least, I usually learn uh, one or two things from each guest that we have. And this will be something that I take from from this podcast is, is just that idea. I think that's really good. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us. Okay, let's get into our last My question. My pleasure. Uh, and that is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about leadership and preparing to lead? Oh, goodness. Um, I, I get versions of this question asked to me quite actually quite frequently about IGEM interns. We have this great internship program. Like I mentioned, my daughter did her internship in Bolivia, but we have groups of interns that come and stay for three months or so in DC uh, and work in the office that I'm in. And Periodically, we'll have different leaders at IJM, uh, you know, invited to come in and sit down with them over lunch for like a no holds barred conversation about life and vocation and relationships and stuff. Super fun. And always some version of this question arises, right? Because they're 21, 22, 23. Um, what would you go back and tell yourself uh, at you were my age, if you were my age? So what I usually say would be some version of the following three things. And they're really just about like life and faithfulness, because I think those things are the are the precursor, the precondition to, to leadership really or, or, or anything else of value. So thing number one is I would, uh, I would walk up to myself, I would grab myself by the shoulders and I would stare deeply into my 20 year old eyes <laughs> and I would wait until it got uncomfortable. <laughs> and then when it was uncomfortable, I would say, listen to me, God really can be trusted. And then, you know, my 20 year old self would say back to me, like in the, in that scene, Goodwill hunting. I don't know if you've seen that, but I, I grew up in Boston. So I, I like that movie. Um, my, my 20 year old self would say back to me, Oh, I, I, I know that. And then I'd shake myself a little bit and I'd stare into my eyes again. And I'd say, no, no, really, really, God really can be trusted. And I would want to know that I would want to know that at 20, the way I know it now. Um, and I, I think that is the thing. So whatever, whatever the thing is that you're struggling to trust God with, at age 20, like you can actually let go of, whether it's a, a concern about a, a future life phase or a, or a career or a leadership opportunity, um, God really can be trusted. That That's mm -hmm. the first thing I would say. The second thing I'd say is 
just do what's in front of you. Do it with earnestness, do it with integrity. Um, don't get distracted by what you fear might lie ahead. Don't get distracted what you by what you hope might lie ahead. And please, goodness, don't fall into the trap of thinking anything is beneath you. Um, don't let your longing for the next phase of life sort of pull you out of you know, fully participating in this phase of life, like be present where you're at and do what is in front of you with integrity and earnestness. Um, and then finally, I would say this, it's not a freaking tightrope. Cause I feel like, especially, uh, people like me in my twenties, uh, I felt like the will of God for me was like a balancing act. It was like trying to walk down the edge of a knife. And if I put one foot wrong, I would fall off and I might never get back up again. And I feel like, man, that that is just such a narrow view of the of the goodness of God. Right. So from from age 55, looking back on all this, what I see is a God who is incredibly creative and generative, um, who can can um, use the, the strangest things to shape me. Right. So I'm, I'm talking about a basic perspective of faithfulness. Right. So those situations where you feel like, oh, I'm not sure if I should do this or this, like I'm trying to be faithful. They both seem good. And I'm afraid I'm going to put my foot wrong. And I'm thinking back, like thinking, oh, God uses, um, you know, God works all those things together for good when our basic core desire is to be faithful. So don't think of it like a, like a tightrope. Like that's, uh, God is just so much better than that and so much more creative than that. So those are the things I'd say. God can be trusted, do what's in front of you, and it's not a freaking tightrope. Mm, that's good, my friend. Well, uh, just thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, and just so everyone knows, an unexamined life is not worth living was said by none other than Socrates. I'm a philosophy. I was a philosophy major wow. undergrad, and I now have to turn back in my degree. Um, <laughs> but your philosophy undergrad degree made you get the pronunciation right, which is which is fantastic. <laughs> no, Bill and Ted did. <laughs> so great. All right. Um, so great. Uh, sorry. Uh, I do want our listeners to remember, uh, please, please, please go to www.ijm.org slash freedom dash or hyphen, whatever you prefer, uh, Sunday. So it's uh, ijm.org slash freedom dash Sunday. Uh, and you'll find out tons more information about how your church can get involved. You know, one of the things that we often do as church leaders is we try to um, overcomplicate things or we have kind of a fear of maybe the the justice issue. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I want to tell you the people in your church are more engaged in this than you think. And mm -hmm. it is not near as political as you might think it is either, right. because yeah. when you are looking into the eyes of other people that are suffering around the world, it, all that kind of goes out the window and it's, it's, there's so, so many stories and so many things that you can get engaged in uh, through IJM, I would just really encourage you to check them out. 18,000 churches, I think, last year participated. Uh, That's right. And yeah. it just it grows every year, and it grows every year because churches get connected, and it yeah. does a great thing for that church. And, you know— I 
Go. I would add to that, Todd. You, you were saying the people in your church are are way more way more interested in this than you think. I would also say the people who are not yet in your church are way more interested in this mm, than you that's think. That's good too, right? And so, offering leadership in our communities to, to meaningful in these issues, you know, something beyond the raging Facebook post that I feel like is sometimes the only thing, you know, right. people feel like the only thing they can do. If churches in their communities would take some leadership, both locally and internationally on uh, on some of these issues, uh, people would cross the threshold that, that otherwise uh, might not cross the threshold because the church appears irrelevant to them on the issues right. that matter most to them. Mm. So, we, uh, I mean, we have a track record of walking with churches through this stuff, of helping uh, make a clear biblical case that, that doesn't feel like it falls off into any kind of partisanship. Um, and the, the materials and resources are just great. Thad and Richard are really good at what they do. Um, and you guys are great at what you do. Your platform is amazing. And so we're just, we're just really grateful for the partnership. I think a lot of churches would be really well served by it. Excellent. All right. Well, listeners, thanks again for listening. We'll also put all that information in the show notes and we'll try to make sure that we link all those books in the show notes as well. Um, Man, such a great conversation. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, Todd. It's been a great pleasure.